1: This is Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Tim Priest with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. It's Wednesday, July 25th, and guys, we are eight days away from a press conference with Brian Kelly on Thursday, August 2nd, and then in nine days, we'll be going to Culver, Indiana. Friday, uh, August 3rd, for the start of preseason drills. We don't have a bunch of, we don't have any really breaking news here, other than a little bit of information on Notre Dame's. One of Notre Dame's freshmen, Joe Wilkins Jr., who was projected at corner but had played wide receiver in high school and had played it well. Uh, Irish Illustrated reported last week that he has moved to the wide receiver position. And Tim, um, there's a domino effect with that, but I think it's a sign that they probably like the other freshman cornerbacks that have come in. I
0: think there's it, it's trickle down everywhere. You have maybe they like. Another guy is a backup corner. Maybe it's finally Dante Vaughn. Maybe we were kind of speculating before this. Someone like Nick Coleman, who's finding himself out of the mix at safety, but he's a veteran. He's been back there. He's started well, 14 games in Notre Dame uniform. He's a senior. He's fast. They like him. He could be a backup corner, too. Um, and this opens the door for other backup corner or for the freshman corners to really uh, have more reps in camp, and opens Joe Wilkins. Now Joe Wilkins maybe doesn't start his Notre Dame career, as an eighth or ninth fourth, fourth, <laughs> fourth we, on the depth it, it chart. he gets him involved.
1: Well, we know, that, we know that DJ Brown, that's a guy that we reported in the last uh, podcast, that uh, was a guy that they had been impressed with physically. We know that Noah, Noah Boykin is a talented cornerback. So there's a couple other freshmen. And it, it does make sense because you're pretty solid. You're certainly solid with your top three at cornerback. And we've said it really since the beginning of the offseason that the wide receiver core is inexperienced. I mean, by and large, they haven't put up big numbers. We expect several of them to step forward this year. But I guess it makes sense. And if if wide receiver is the best position for Joe Wilkins Jr., then that's what makes the most
0: sense. Yeah, that, him. sometimes it's a face value move, too. It's just not all the time does a position move mean what you look it's not always like oh he must be doing well there. They didn't move Dion McIntosh to wide receiver no. as a freshman because they thought he was going to be a great receiver someday. They needed
1: no, that's receiver. true. But but you could conceivably look at this and say they think Joe Wilkins' best position oh, is sure. wide receiver.
2: Okay. Yeah, I mean for this for the sake of this year, we're talking about Notre Dame's seventh or eighth yeah. best corner is now their eighth or ninth best right. receiver. Right? So there's not much. To that. There
0: are more reps for the 7th or 8th receiver, though. Than yeah, backers. I mean, I
2: think the, the Wilkins move, if you're looking for a, a more immediate impact, it was part of the reason they declined T.J. Sheffield uh, earlier this summer because they knew they had another receiver to go with, Austin, Lindsey, Keys, Micah Jones. So that's, that's five receivers in the freshman class, which is a bit of an overload. Plus, you have uh, Cam Hart committed for next year. That's six over, six over two years is a good number. Um, and five done. and one is a little bit unbalanced, but... And they'll probably get an... I mean, they're looking for one more receiver. Yeah, I mean, but it reason. has to be somebody good. Yeah. You know, it's right. not... T.J. Sheffield was not at that level. <laughs> um, you know, Joe Wilkins is... I thought his film... I thought he could have been a good corner or a good receiver. I, agree. I mean, I like I liked him on both sides. It, I mean, I think we, a lot of times we watch tape of guys in high school, and you're like, oh, that guy is certainly going to move to this position. With Joe Wilkins, I, I don't... I didn't feel one way or the other. Right. I think, you know, I mean, what I, I liked his – you
1: like when you see that kind of size of corner as long as they're fast enough and quick enough and they can play that position. So that was one of the things that I liked about uh, I liked about him at cornerback. And we know that, I mean, this, this offensive coaching staff, they like bigger receivers. I mean, they, they recruit bigger receivers, and there are going to be several prominent bigger receivers uh, at the forefront this year. So um, – I, it, it makes sense on a couple levels, and I think your point, Pete. T.J. Sheffield just did not make sense at that point. I, I, he catches the ball very well, but he doesn't have great burst off the line of scrimmage. It just didn't make sense.
2: Well, I think one of the re- you mentioned Notre Dame likes bigger receivers. They do, but I think they would prefer bigger receivers who can also run. <laughs> well, and, of and course, Joe Wilkins fits yes, that group, yes. and that's why when you watched him, you thought, "Well, this could be this guy could be a corner because he has really good speed," whereas like. Miles Boykin, um, you know Javon McKinley. You're like they have to be a receiver. They can't be a corner. They don't have that kind of quickness. Where I think Joe Wilkins kind of does. So it's it's an interesting move for 2020. Um, won't have a lot of impact on 2018. I think Joe Wilkins will be one of those four game redshirt type guys who helps out on special teams uh, at a minimum. Maybe they burn a year on special teams if he's like one of the best guys, but they really should have about a dozen guys they can pick from, and then maybe preserve a year across the board.
1: Have you? Ha- I I have not heard any more about freshmen. You know, necessarily after our last podcast, and necessarily have stood out. Um, have you heard any other names beyond what we offered last time? Um, so, last time we talked about DJ Brown, right? I we did. We talked that.
2: about Jamie and Franklin. Um, um, I haven't heard really anything about Franklin, uh, but DJ Brown, I have heard very positive reviews, just like how physically well he's put together. Yeah. Um, Derek Allen, I heard. Is this guy going to grow into a linebacker? Um, he's probably not getting any smaller, and he's a pretty thick kid as is. So that that was a little bit interesting because um, I think when Notre Dame recruited him, you're like, "Well, this is a top hundred safety." Mm-hmm. Um, Houston Griffith, I've heard nothing but Don't, be, don't be surprised if he starts. Right. Uh, and then Sebo Flemister was a guy that I had heard was just incredibly quick in short spaces. I think to the point that it surprised the coaching
1: staff a little bit. That's too. really interesting because I don't think most people would think of him as a, you know, as a speed running back. And I he's was pro- he's probably He's probably not a speed running back. He's a quick running back. And he's definitely a north-south runner, which is something that I think Notre Dame really needs um, in the short term as well as the long term. So that's, um, you know, that's a real positive with him. Um before we get into questions in the second segment, we've been working our way through the schedule, and I don't think we're going to end up timing this well because our next podcast, by the way, will be on Monday, August 6th, after, after we've had a chance to get together with Brian Kelly and and, and witness a practice on Friday. Of course, we'll do an instant analysis after the practice in Culver on Friday, August 3rd. Our next podcast will be August 6th. But um, the next two teams in in evaluating here for the season, games number what nine and ten, I guess, are Northwestern, in Florida State, and I I want to go on record. I don't know if I want to go on record. Do I want to go on I I record? I, I mean, record I really, I really think that the Northwestern game is a really dangerous game for Notre Dame. As somebody pointed out on our message board, that you know other teams have schedules that don't uh, uh, aren't real conducive to winning every week either, and that's very true. Notre Dame plays at in in San Diego against Navy. The week before, Northwestern. They have to travel to Northwestern. I just think that's a real dangerous game. Everybody points out that Nordic has won 10 games to the last three years. So is Northwestern.
0: You said you didn't want to necessarily go on record. I really I did go on record that one of these two games, I think. Yeah. I think they're splitting one of these two games as a result of attrition over the course of the season. You're saying Northwestern and Florida State. Florida State, State yeah. the two teams we're previewing today. I just... It's. I don't believe, after talking to some of the Florida State program, there will be a dead team coming into that. Now, I don't think Florida State's going to be a national title contender, and neither does he. But there's plenty of talent at Florida State. Uh, if you take to the coaching, you know, the first year bumping, they needed a coach. They just need a culture change. It has nothing to do with Jimbo Fisher not being a good coach. He couldn't be there anymore. It was really hot Sometimes right. you just have to make the change Right, those and that's pro- it's
1: probably been that way. Although, you know, He'd probably seven should have is, gone out
0: with Winston. Honestly, yeah. once that, once that—that's what I was going to say. It's been that way stand. for more
1: than one year. But of course, yeah. they went seven and six, and so that exacerbates the, the
0: situation. It's, it's this is the this is the attrition part. Look, Notre Dame—it's the first two games in November. It's the first two games of November after traveling the West Coast. If they get through these games, you're looking at a contending Notre Dame team, right? Because you right. can get Syracuse. No matter where the game is played, there is no excuse to lose to Syracuse. Now, is it worse that it's there? Yeah, it, it affects the next week probably. These are the two tough games where it is peer-ish teams. I think everyone has Notre Dame at face value better than Northwestern and Florida State. Whether it's a lot better or a little better. Just a little bit better than Florida State, or maybe just you think they're better than Northwestern. Look, Notre Dame should be better than Northwestern, right? I know they won 10 games last year too, but Notre Dame should be better. It should be, but Dame didn't, Notre Dame
1: didn't, did hold opponents to 3.2 yards per carry like Northwestern did. And basically their, their front seven is back. I, I mean, I think Northwestern talent wise, I think a lot of it has to do with, and I'll jump back into Florida state, but I think a lot of it has to do with the health of Clayton Thorson, who, who tore an ACL uh, late in the season. And, you know, who knows exactly how ready he'll be, but in terms of Florida state, um, you know, Willie Taggart repairs programs. He did it at Western Kentucky. He did it at South Florida, and he was in the process of doing it at Oregon when they went from four wins to seven wins in, in his first year. But they only have four starters back on defense. And to your point, Tim, there's no shortage of talent at Florida State. We understand that, but they are very inexperienced. They're very inexperienced at the second level, a linebacker, um, and just four stars back. I know their D-line's very good. Their special teams are very, very good. We have I have them second behind Stanford in the, the first rate series. Levanta Levanta Taylor, uh, their cornerback is very good. There's talent there. There's no doubt about it. And Francois will be the quarterback from what you understand. Yeah, right? from,
0: what, from talking to someone close or basically inside the Florida State program, it's the fake quarterback competition that you sometimes see around college football. So Francois, if healthy, is the starter. Um, they want to run. Super, they want to go super fast. Taggart obviously wants to go very fast, up tempo doesn't have to be 90 plays, but they are definitely going to be in the 85-play range. That is the goal, 83-85 plays a game. Yeah, there's they have running backs all over the place. The offensive line is just supposed to be better by default. Now you have to wonder if that's going to work out. But it, you know, changing line coaches and going to the spread, they're utilizing that to get their athletes in space. Oddly, just talking to this, this guy, very close to the program, every year says... It's the worst linebacking core he's ever seen coming back at Florida State. He said it's not even Wake Forest level. And I don't think he was giving Wake Forest a compliment in that. Like, they have gotten better. <laughs> but he said five corners can play. They rotate three deep on the defensive line. So that can mitigate what you have at linebacker.
1: They have, they just have no experience at linebacker. They just don't linebacker. have anything. No
0: experience at linebacker. And they don't really like what they have. And that's that's kind oh, of that's a rare <laughs> thing for people to admit. That's a bad like, combination. You're like, well, we'll have a lot of young guys. We're yeah. sure it's like, we don't have anything yeah. linebacker, man. So And they
1: uh, are young at wide receiver, too. So Francois and or Blackman is going to have to get in, in sync with those guys. I
2: mean, it's definitely Francois. I mean, yeah. the, from what I saw of Blackman last year, it was not, it was not good. <laughs> he got, I mean, he got better by the end of the year, but he was really bad the first couple yeah. months. <clears throat> um, so between Francois and Clayton Thorson, I mean, you have two quarterbacks who really got medically dinged last <laughs> year. Uh I got lit up. <laughs> one, one missed the entire season. One missed the entire off season. So it's, I but O'Malley, I think I agree with you that Notre Dame splitting these two is feels likely-ish to me, and I think if I had to pick one that was going to be the L, it would be Northwestern more than it would be Florida State. The road game makes sense. Don't yeah. you? I mean, that, that's post also part post Navy. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm on but, I'm on
1: board with you guys there too. I mean, I guess, I, I, I you know I North I, I just want to I, I the impression of course is that Notre Dame is superior to Northwestern, and I don't. I think they're a better team, I mean man for man, but I wouldn't say that they're superior to them. When I look I say, on the defensive side of the ball, the way the way it's broken down in my rating system, I at Michigan's one, USC and Notre Dame are virtually tied, and then it's Northwestern on Notre Dame's schedule. So, um, you know, by that stage I, I would imagine Brandon Wimbush should be uh, you know, playing good football and should be a fairly experienced quarterback by that point. Or, but again, or not playing. well, well, <laughs> that, you know, that, yeah, yeah but right. coming back from San Diego, right?
0: He will not be scuffling no. through the season at that point. right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he will, yeah, he would probably be removed if he was scuffling at that point. But you know, we I think we all expect him to get a lot better. But that's just a really tricky game, and I agree. I mean, I, I think these two games right here, before you get into the last two games of the season, it's going to be very difficult to sweep those.
0: My whole point of Florida State is, let's say they get, and I agree with you guys, Northwestern, if you're picking a loss, is more likely. It's on the road, first of all, right after Navy. They don't play well after Navy. They don't play well on the road. It's kind of an easy, and it's a good team. It's kind of an easy pull. They get through it. It's not going to be easy. So you're getting through Navy, and you're getting through Northwestern. That's not when you want to face Florida State's athletes either.
1: Right. I don't think that Nordame has, you know, in years past, it seemed like they would come out of the Navy game always banged up. I'm not sure that that, has that necessarily Just happened. That in recent they yeah, no, like I know, I, know I realize game, so no that. Yeah, the, the good thing about Navy, of course, is two weeks preparation, which I think, all things being equal, with any opponent, that's probably the best opponent for you to have to. Yeah. Obviously, there are teams that are a lot more talented than them. In fact, you even point out they're 13th in the talent rating,
2: but that's just that's Navy. That's the way it is. I would here's something that I think is worth considering on Northwestern as we talk about Notre Dame schedule. This is a seven game stretch, Michigan at Michigan State, Nebraska, at Rutgers, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, at Iowa. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, Northwestern is going to be limping into no doubt. the yes. Notre and, Dame. Game. And, and, probably and wh-
1: more than Notre Dame will have that's, played. Maybe. That's probably true. And, and who's more physical the week before you
2: play Notre Dame than Wisconsin, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for Florida State, the two games before that, yeah, Notre Dame are Clemson at home at NC State, and then they two back to back. They go, yeah, go up to, Notre, to Dame. Notre Dame. That's not a team that's going to be peaking at that point of the year. Either. Yeah, I mean that's
1: No, it's a good point, and we we focus so much on Notre Dame. And the last the last segment of the first rate series is going to be scheduled, which I'll have here in a few days. And um, yeah, I mean it it plays a role. That's why it's the tenth aspect of that that series of stories because it plays a significant role in the outcome. Of a team season, so
0: you guys are both saying twelve and zero now. <laughs> Plus, I just say, like when
2: you look at the uh, the schedules of Northwestern and Florida State, it makes me feel more confident Notre Dame will sweep those two than just looking at Notre Dame True. by itself. True. Um, I think once you once you put those factors in there, I mean, it's what, like Florida State's at Miami, home Wake Forest, home Clemson, at NC State, and then Notre Dame. So you can you know, add Miami into that mix too. Um, that. It feels like there's a pretty good chance Florida State might be coming to Notre Dame, and they would be five and four, six and three. Six and three sounds a little more. I, I don't. Six think and three, Florida down, State coming to yeah, South Bend yeah. in November. Like, uh, it's a little different if it's seven and two than six and three. Yeah. You're right about that. Yeah, I think a lot probably will be tev- already been taken off the table for Florida State by the time they come to Notre. Dame.
0: Really, your point. And this, I think, is relevant for Notre Dame fans. When you watch Florida State against Virginia Tech in the opener, might not be the Florida State team you see when they play Notre Dame eight weeks later. I'd say there's a high, high
2: likelihood of yeah. that. And that's, that's significant. So,
1: All right, that's it for segment one. We'll be back with segment two with questions from our readers. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider. Questions from our readers. We start with NDFB. If Notre Dame is going to win 10 games this upcoming season, what do you need to see this fall
2: camp? A few things. One one is impossible because we would need to see Wimbush have basically 20 straight good practices, and we'll only see about three or four of them. (laughs) So we're just not going to see enough volume from him to feel confident one way or the other. You would really need to see it every day. Um, I would need to see... Some, I guess what would Describe as like question mark type players Really beat more established guys Like I would need to see Jafar Armstrong Shake Tavon Coney I'd need to see Chase Claypool with the ones i need to see Houston Griffith with the ones i need to see Cole Comet look more like Kyle Rudolph or Tyler Eifert Um, so I would need to see Sophomores really flash And maybe a couple of juniors flash That either have not done anything to date Um or have played a little bit but haven't really sparkled. So I, I would need to see evidence of some real breakout-type seasons um, being kicked around in August. Well, this mind meld is great for podcasts, but I was about
0: to say Jafar Armstrong, Sebo Flemister, <laughs> Michael Young, a sophomore, a freshman that is a, adds to the mix, a surprise player, a, a guy that can change a game or two yeah. with his athletic ability. Because I don't think Dexter Williams is going to be there for four weeks. I don't know if Dexter Williams can hold up for two more months because he never has before in his life. He's a guy that often gets injured, and he doesn't run injured. So I think they need some other type of playmaker to emerge. Uh, You mentioned Claypool. People are always wondering, why do you want to see Claypool run with the ones?
2: He better be running with the ones, because if he's running with the twos, it means nothing's changed. Yeah, and this is a different, like, we always spend so much like, hey, what do you hear about these guys in the offseason? We almost limit ourselves to freshmen. I have heard in the last few weeks that, Chase Claypool, there, there's a light that's at least flickering there about leadership, being conscious of the fact that guys are actually looking to you. So if that's what gets him to buy in and be like, "All right, I need to actually, I need to help some, like Kevin Austin along," um, that's a real positive. And I don't think that was there six months ago. I
0: did want to add to the Wimbush thing. If we see him, his short game good for four or five practices. That's, that's exactly, Yeah, that's I, I, what I need to see. I didn't. I wasn't going to go along the lines
1: of you were, Pete because we know we're not going to see all the practices, yeah. but the ones that we see, I would like to see the screen passes and the easy throws and the ones that have to be complete, the ones that need to be completed ninety percent of the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, he needs to be better on those. For me, offensive line needs to have some success against what looks like a veteran and deep defensive line. Pass rush, of course. That's kind of then the flip side of the the pass rush having success against the, the offensive line. Active safeties. Um, How about and,
0: who is the safe? How about with Gilman? Would you would you just be really more bullish on the season if all of a sudden Houston Griffith is there at the second open practice starting? Yes, yeah, definitely, I so definitely.
1: And I, and I think that's a strong. I think that's a strong possibility. I think we have another question that. that that uh, jumps into safeties and stuff, but uh, yeah, you know, I mean, running back production, wide receiver maturity, um, you know, all of those kind of things will contribute to the possibility of a ten-win season.
0: Next question is from Wash ND. I have noticed that throughout the spring summer, there doesn't seem to be a lot of confidence from the Irish Illustrated staff about Liam Eichenberg holding down the left tackle job. What is the reasoning for this lack of belief in him since the coaching staff seems very high on him and the jump he has made?
1: Well, for starters, it's a very difficult position to play. Um, and secondly, Mike McGlinchy isn't playing, it. I think that has a lot to do with just expectations. You know, on the offensive line, we're always, through the years, I think everybody is always quick to say, you know, you can replace one or two guys. Well, obviously, these two guys are more difficult than anybody else, but... The cohesion on the offensive line is, is so difficult to attain that, that that contributes to why we you know throw question marks up there. But it's a difficult position. I'm not sure he can handle pass protection on the left side. He didn't handle it on the right side last year. Of course, he was a year younger. Uh, he's not McG- McGlinchey. And I think the other thing that sits in the back of our minds is that we know how the coaching staff feels about Josh Lugg. Now, I, I, I think they want Josh Lugg to be a guard, not a tackle. But certainly if Eichenberg struggles and Lugg is the next best
2: offensive lineman, I could see him on the field. I think Liam Eichenberg is sort of the victim of the guys he's following It's no not, doubt. And it's not just McGlinchey. It's Ronnie Stanley and Zach Martin before that. So if he's not, if he's not a first-round pick, he's not as good as the guys that he's following, which is a hell of a bar to clear for a guy who hasn't really played a whole lot. Um, but, I, Tim, I, I think you've brought this up in the past that Liam Eichenberg had a chance last year to be in the lineup and he didn't seize it. He got beat out by a true freshman, which almost never happens. Yeah. So that's that's something we're like, hmm. That's, that's okay.
1: Yeah, on one hand you can say, okay, well, Eichenberg was young, but yeah. the guy that beat him out was even younger. Now maybe Aynes just a freak and that's why he beat him out. But I think anytime you're putting any time you're breaking in a new left tackle, there's got there has to be a little bit of... Uh, of concern and trepidation and doubt.
0: That is definitely where I'm coming from, and I don't think it's fair. I, but last year, when Pete came back from, I think, the opening, he said, some of the opening told me that Robert Haynesy is probably in the mix at right tackle. I was like, oh, that's, that's good news. He's showing well. And then he's starting. And I thought to myself... You're Sure, that's good as a true freshman, but what does that say about Liam Eikenberg? And it's not fair to say that now. It's a year in advance. Right. He, he is certainly in a different role. He's, he's in his third year, which is what you're supposed to be when you're coming into your own as an offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Quentin Nelson was much more of a sure thing going into his third year than his second year. Now, we knew he was going to be good. That second year is the 2015, his registered freshman season. But most guys aren't Quentin Nelson. So I'm probably not being fair to Eichenberg. In this situation, yeah, I mean, but we, there is the history of well, he was beat out by a freshman. So yeah, now it's it's kind of by default, even though it's not. I mean, they have good talent, but with Liam Eichenberg restarting, if they had a senior back at that spot, it's right, kind of my exactly. way looking at it.
1: And then we're and then after game one, we're going to be judging him based upon <laughs> Which won't be how fair, he played right. against Michigan's defensive end. So <laughs> not an easy task ahead for for
2: Liam Eichenberg. No, but I mean overall, he's, he's on pace. I mean, this, yeah, this, yeah, this, yeah that's no, you know, that's I mean, some, that's something that people should keep in mind. Yeah, a and junior. I he's right he, this should be the year that he makes a big And I think
1: you know I think again we'll see where Lug ends up but I mean I think he was in the mix of tackle but they they clearly they had to have been happy with Eichenberg in the spring because well, yeah, it, because point. he emerges as a starter coming out and of the and spring And at some
0: point during the spring they reconfigured everything and made it Eichenberg on the left side and Haynes on the other right. right so that's
1: right. I mean,
2: that, that's relevant. Right. All right, next up Doc Irish, other than Joe Wilkins' move to wide receiver, are there any other position changes that we know of or anticipate?
1: I, I'm i not aware of any. I, I I kind of expected. I know Notre Dame recruited Justin Adamalola as a weak side defensive end. I think his game and his body and physique say strong side defensive end. But there's a need to fi- at least to fill out the depth chart on, at that weak side spot because you have Dalen Hayes and you have Julian O'Quara. And the third guy is, is Kofi Wardlow, and I just did the the uh, A to Z on him uh, earlier this week or last week. And and um, you know he came he was listed at two thirty on his recruiting profile, but Notre Dame lists him at two hundred ten pounds when he came in. So he's had a long way to go. He's very inexperienced; only played two years of high school. So Adam Alola, whether he was expecting it or not, or whether Notre Dame fans were expecting it or not, he's the number three weak side defensive end.
2: Yeah, I don't. It's it's hard to look across the the freshman. You know, Bracy was like, uh, ah, could he play a couple of different positions? But he, with Wilkins moving, he's definitely yeah, staying. at Yeah, and, and that's a case where I think corner is definitely his best position. Yeah, so I, there's not really anybody else out there that you look at and
1: say
0: like
2: this is a potential. Position maybe change. maybe Derek is. Yeah, maybe Derek Allen not, in the future. Yeah, not now, but it's a, maybe a 2020 move. Yeah,
0: if you're not talking freshmen, I still think we touched on it. I think a guy like Coleman, they want to have on the field somehow. And I not as a starter. And I think he can probably fill out that corner role where hey, I mean Tariq Brace will probably be a better corner than Nick Coleman, but is he better corner against Michigan when you have to rotate out Julian Love for two yeah, plays? That, right. that's kind of how I feel like they're gonna be using a guy like Coleman. Right.
1: AM Ruther twenty four. Who will be the leading receiver slash tight end in yards, receptions, and touchdowns in two
2: thousand eighteen? Oh, okay. I misread this question as like who is the leading tight end in receptions as a receiver? Oh. Because um, Cole Komet is check, check, check on all three for me. Um, I, I he, think I think that's a good. That's what I want it to be. Um, I think that's the best sign for Notre Dame. Well,
1: if you want it yeah. You yeah. <laughs> so
2: don't, you don't think
0: Mac will lead them in one of those three categories as a tight end? I do. I mean, I, possible. I mean, I think yes, that's true. How many times do we rule it out?
1: All right, let me. Let me think. If he can catch the ball consistently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he's got a good chance of leading the yeah. team in reception. He can't
0: he can't have another year like that. We have talked about this. There's no way L.A. Mack, eligible and healthy, can't do something on a football team. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't I don't get it.
1: I don't see any of the whiteouts
0: being a, <laughs> you know,
1: I mean, certainly at this stage, none of the true whiteouts are established as a potential lead. I can see Claypool and Boykins, you know what I'm saying, splitting the. Yeah. Splitting a lot of those receptions. I would
0: guess Claypool receptions, Claypool touchdowns. and maybe be, Bo- I mean, I'm sorry, Claypool yards, Claypool touchdowns, and maybe Boykin receptions out of the wide receivers. Just, he's reliable. But you know what happens when Notre Dame? It's a guy, it's usually leader, leader, leader across the board for Notre Dame's best wide receiver. That's rare that doesn't happen. Yeah, that's true. Well, not every year. Well, I don't. No. know. I didn't check. I, you know, but last year doesn't
1: count. Springing the, the, the ball over the yeah, field. Yeah, this there was, is. No. Yeah, this is set up where it that you know those categories might be spread
0: around a little. bit. I think we have our second bet of the season, Pete, with the commit Mac thing going mm. on here. There we go. We don't. Now, now last years were. So we got to start it's gonna be, making. It's, it's just... going to be tough to top last yeah. years, but that's there's one right there. I will go with Mac in every category, and you go with commit in every category because it's a tiebreaker there. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> right.
2: I like it. I like it. I like my position there. All right, Maddie Hep's fourteen, assuming everyone is healthy. Who do you guys think will be the starting safeties going into the last game of the regular season? I,
1: you know, Gilman. I think. We, do we all agree that Gilman would be? W- yes. Will be one of them.
2: Um, he's an edge to him. You I know, I like Gilman. It's. I always right, so, so here's my Gilman thing. When I sat down with Clark Lee for 90 minutes, I think Olvi Gilman was standing outside his office for 30 minutes waiting to talk to Clark Lee. Like, I like. I like. Seeing not that we're up in the football offices a lot, um uh, but yeah. I like seeing players in the dead of July, yeah wanting to sit down with your not even your position coach right. your coordinator. I think that's just a really good sign, so that's my l o gilman point. all right
1: so we so we all agree that that Gilman will be one of them. There're really only five candidates and and you know maybe maybe five. it's well <laughs> I mean maybe it's why I would have said gilman Gilman Coleman Elliot Griffith. And Derek Ellen, and I do. I wouldn't put Studstill in that group, and I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, really, Ellen, or maybe even Coleman, because all we saw of Coleman was playing nickel in the spring, and he's I wasn't a Swiss sure, Army
0: knife this year.
1: Yeah, I wasn't sure whether that because we only get glimpses of practice. I wasn't sure if that meant that that was the position that he was going to play with Sean Crawford, or he knew safety and they needed to really drill him in the the. The nickel stuff and it just so happened that the practices we were in they were that's what they were focusing on with them.
0: My mildly educated guess is Griffith joins Gilman. I that would I agree. I At think that's who it's gonna be.
1: Gilman and Griffith is who I think will end the season. Pete, what do you think?
2: Uh I I will say not only will they end the season, by the end of September those will be okay. the starting there, season. Yeah. I they, don't I don't think Griffith starts the first game. Maybe <laughs> Michigan. I'd say it's, it will be up for discussion. Okay, that's, that's fair. That's all I will go that far with you. Soon. Well, I think
1: that I think it comes down to the reason. I mean, from my perspective, why 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 was Jalen Elliott the the starter at the end of spring? I think it's because and I and I think it was Todd Light that said this in one of the uh, well, it was right that he knew the defense. He had he knew the defense. Him and Gilman knew the defense the best. I get that in the spring, but in the fall. Um, You know, there's too much at stake, especially the first game. If Griffith understands the concepts of what they're doing and
2: the coverages, I think he should play. Yeah, I mean, he will not only understand the defense, but I think he'll be a a more natural fit for that position than pretty much everyone else on on that list of five guys. I agree. He was
1: impressive in the spring. Uh, Kay Beasley, several of the college preseason publications do not place much mention of NFL prospects for... Coney, Love, and Tillery, it seemed to always have, always seemed to overinflate Mustafa and Bars. Is this due to limitations in their games or just undervaluing Notre Dame's defensive
0: positions based upon lack of
1: NFL pedigree? It's a good question.
0: Yes. I, I'm, how are they rated? Mustafa, I saw in one, is the number one rated center. Um, Bars is a preseason All American in a couple. So if he's saying overinflated there, I mean, that, that would. That could be overinflated because you're making the number one center in a, in a preseason All-American. So they, they could live up to that. But that's – Bars has made a couple All-American teams. Mars uh, Mustafer is the number one rated center in Lindy's. Right. Some of these, though, just, know, <laughs> even a guy like who has the best magazine out there in Phil Steele, he had Quentin Nelson as the 22nd ranked guard last year. What? The 22nd ranked guard. Yeah. He hasn't been the 22nd best guard in college football since he was a
1: senior in high school. That was absurd. That that's one of and Phil Steele has his hands on virtually everything yeah, that goes he, it, into Yeah, I think that. he just missed the I don't, page. <laughs> I don't no, actually I don't I don't think that he did those ratings if if memory serves it that I heard that. And I think okay, I think Mustafer I think Mustafer's a, a, a really good NFL candidate, but as long as Ross Piercebacker is playing center for Alabama. Right. I can't, I can't I can't put who I loved coming out of high school. I, I was really hoping the Norton would get him. I I, I can't see how Mustafa's the best center in the country, but I think he's among the best. Here's
2: how I view this. I don't know if you guys, um, I don't, Priester. I know you've done sort of the Keith Arnold, Doug Farmer. Like they sort of solicit the top I'm, twenty five I'm players that this okay. year. Yeah. So I, I sent mine in already, and I had Sam Mustafa number one. I, I think he is Notre Dame's best player. I have him number three. Pound for before pound, before sending it in, yeah. Um, over Coney, obviously. Over everybody because I have him at number one, and I.
1: So you're taking measurables into consideration.
2: I think the impact on this season. Um, this how, is not NFL, how, by the way. How good there. he is relative to his position nationally. Um, you know, is he going to be the highest draft pick under these guys? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Um, Maybe he's a center. Though. I don't no think stuff. I would put him ahead of Tillery just based on me- yeah. on the measurables. Tillery is unique, and um, I think Mustaver is just really good. Measurable wise, but I do think just in terms of who is Notre Dame's best player, Sam Mustafer would get my is got my vote this year. Yeah, I I,
1: I I haven't done a rating. I would put him right up there. I've been high on Mustafer since the spring. I think he's gonna have a great senior year. Uh but as it relates to the question, you know, here's here's the thing. I mean, Julian Love, as great as he was last year, and I mean he's a football player. I don't care what the, yes. the forty time is, but the NFL will care about the forty time. And he will probably not impress them too much with his 40 time. Coney's undersized. I don't know that that really matters anymore uh, with, with inside linebackers. If you can play and you're tough and you're big and you're in great shape, and he's he's all of those things, big meaning, built well, um, he can play. I, I, you know, There's no doubt in my mind that he can play on the next level. And then Tillery... You know, what would hold a rating, what would hold Tillery's rating back? Reputation from earlier in his career? Because he had had a hell of a junior year.
0: He even had a good year, I mean, statistically, if you're just projecting forward, that you would assume he would get better statistically. We know he had nine tackles for loss, right, Pete? So you could, um, not 9.5, but you could kind of project him getting better, and that's not even to the way we know. I think Notre Dame writers and fans know more about Tillery than the national guys do in this instance no one knows he's graduating, he's only concentrating on football for the first time in his life, right? Except for everybody that's around him every day. They don't know that he is a guy that Brian Kelly has often said, well, now he doesn't have distractions, and that's the kind way of saying, focus on football.
2: He gets yeah. to focus on football, and I think that's part of the reason we see him taking a step forward. Yeah. Well, the f- of the five players listed in this question, four of them graduated. Tillery til- and yeah. Tony have both graduated. And Love might as well have, yeah, because he's the just tailor-made Notre Dame student-athlete. Yeah, yeah. so it's... Look, I, I think reputation of, like, program perception probably has something to do with it. A Notre Dame offensive lineman is going to get the benefit of the doubt in the same way Clemson defensive lineman is going to get yeah. the benefit of the doubt, or an Alabama football player. You know, it just... So Bars is the one getting the benefit of the doubt right here, really. Yeah. Yeah, bar, if you are said, like, who is maybe the the national perception of these five players, whose doesn't match up or who's overrated based on what we've seen, I think we would probably all go with Alex Bars there. Like, good player, All-American player? I don't think that we've seen that. Uh,
1: I, I agree, and I want to see the first and foremost. I want to see Alex Barr stay on his feet, stay on your feet. You can't block when you're on the ground. Stay on your feet. He'll be—he's huge. He's massive. He's as wide as he is tall. That was a, when I when I Pete remember when I don't we think met him?
0: Big anymore because of McGlinchey. Everybody I see, it just I know. small
1: now. <laughs> no, I know. But I mean, what, remember when we saw Chicago? those guys in Chicago, yeah. and I and I at that time, I said he was a guard. And it proved that he was a guard. But when I met him, I was like, my God, he is just, you know, he He is. He was
2: definitely one of the guys you're like, whoa. Yeah,
1: yeah. If he stays on his feet and gets his weight underneath
2: him and blocks, he can be a great player. All right, last question. Love the ND9. Big picture question. If Notre Dame wins 10 games this regular season, wins a New Year's Six Bowl, and finishes with a realistic 9th or 10th ranked recruiting class, do you see the momentum carrying over into a college football playoff bid in the next five years? The 2018-2019 classes would be two of Notre Dame's best in the BK era. And with the best coaching staff we've had in a while at Notre Dame, would you be more likely to bet that they make the college football playoff in the next five years or that they don't? Thanks, guys. Love your podcast. Boy, betting, actually
1: betting on Notre Dame. Let's let me just let just give a little quick rundown of the, the – the, uh, the playoff history of college football. It's been four years, right? Yep. So sixteen so spots. Sixteen spots. You did this too, I did didn't this you? Too. There goes my Alabama's question. been there all four times. Clemson's been there three. Ohio State's been there three. That's uh ten. And then there are six other teams that have been there once. Florida State, Oregon, Michigan State. If Michigan State can go, Notre Dame can go. Well they got right? lit up. If too. Washington <laughs> can go, Notre Dame can go. Oklahoma and Georgia. So a total of nine teams. Oklahoma's been twice. Have Which made just the seems playoffs weird to me, but
0: uh, Oklahoma's been in 2015, okay, and in 2017, okay. yeah, but nine teams have made the playoffs. Nine right. teams have made it, right? Right. So, um,
1: you know, I mean, just the percentages there, the, but but I guess the percentages don't matter there. I, I, the point is, the point of the question is, will Notre Dame have enough talent to do that?
0: And the carryover is part of the question too. So, winning ten games this year and winning a New Year's Six bowl. I don't know if those two things can happen. It might be eleven games for that, but I think maybe a ten. No, ten and two regular season, but win a New Year's six bowls. so you'd be eleven two. If you're eleven and two, then there's realistic carryover and me thinking, "Wow, he it is it is turned around." Norton goes eleven and two. I'm going to be very high on their future, on their near future under Kelly, because they don't go eleven and two ever. <laughs> so. Yeah, next year and, and they
1: next go eleven year. and two. And when I you know when I when you think about next year and the schedule and the losses that they're going to incur, uh, personnel. But then uh, he's saying the next five years. Yeah, So that's fair. I, I think it.
0: eleven and two means boy, they, the staff really has things on lockdown right now.
2: Yeah, I I would agree that eleven and two I don't think it would impact so much the recruiting of the twenty nineteen class. I mean they're they're basically done um with that at seventeen commitments. They could go as high as twenty, but they're not gonna. They're not gonna go beyond that, barring some really unforeseen roster changes. Eleven and two might break some unforeseen roster changes. Right, though, that's possible so, in a good um, way. <laughs> yeah, guys yeah, yeah. go pro, but it certainly would help you in twenty twenty, which is already they've got the good Notre Dame style start with a, mm. a top quarterback and two really two tight ins <laughs> I mean, it's a very Notre Dame uh recruiting class. So, I think it would definitely give some good vibes to the program. Um, you know, the more that I ask around. Notre Dame about Brian Kelly, what do you think? How long is this going to go I, I' had someone flat out tell me it's like it's going to be another four years so you know, well,
1: based based upon you know the depth that they're building defensively Clark Lee just starting out uh, you know the, the the collection of talent that uh, along the offensive line. I just did a review on Kevin Pine yesterday. I don't know if we're going to get Kevin Pine, but if they add him to the mix,
2: it's a ridiculous amount of talent building on the offensive line. With Phil Dracovic, who right. was the first freshman that we've, we heard about impressing, and somebody that I talked to a source last week is like, that's happening. <laughs> like This guy is going to be really freaking good yeah. uh, and probably be no, at least Notre Dame's backup um, at some point this year, maybe early. So if, if you have the quarterback figured out, you have front seven defensive talent figured out, at least a defensive tackle and linebacker, Cornerback recruiting has been good. They're better at safety than they've been at in yes. fifteen years. Gildon's yes. a sophomore. Um, I mean, now, he's got you <laughs> know, you, you had the modest slaughter, Harrison um, trio, but, but that's all they had. Their backup was Connor Cavalaris. Yeah, that's so he the, was the fourth safety. Yeah. Yeah. They can sort of be at that level uh, for for a few years. That the the program is in a, a fairly healthy position, and the notion that Notre Dame would go eleven and one some year and make the playoff. Not gonna, I don't think it's going to be 2019, but in You're 2020 right. or 21, yeah, that's, that's would you, would you, highly possible. Would you bet it? Based upon knowing how difficult the, the
1: schedules tend to play out?
2: I mean, no, for the reasons that you know, <laughs> how you started answering right. this question. Right. There have been 16 playoff bids. They've gone to nine teams, yeah. and basically three teams have Three's accounted there, for yeah. half of them. Right? Yeah. I mean,
0: if you could say something like, so five years is 20 spots. If you could say something but like, three, there's 10 new teams in those 20 spots.
1: But then you, I would say you don't Yeah, but three people. teams have accounted for 10 of the 16 spots yeah. in four years. I mean,
2: let's say Notre Dame, for, <laughs> Notre Dame they're, let's say they don't make it this year. Right. I mean, I think they should be able to put a charge into it. Should, yeah, this like, year I like the charge better than, than next year. 2019, I'd I, I, hard to see how that, that works with the schedule. But 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023, I think you've got – there's Ohio they have a home-and-home home with Ohio State and Clemson in, in those years, oh. which in some ways gives you an opportunity to, like, get something yeah. really good on your schedule. Could they make it in one of those? Yeah. You know, it's like – you could get Urban Meyer retirement that amount of time, too. Again, That's true. That's not a
0: – And maybe nah, – I exactly. think Dabo's <laughs> set for a long time <laughs> Yeah, there. That. He's, he's set for a long Davo time Dabo's
1: for, set for a long time, no doubt about it. All right, that's it for uh, today's podcast. We will uh, get together with Brian Kelly next week on Thursday, August 2nd, and then head to Culver on Friday, and then we'll have that podcast, as I mentioned earlier, on Monday, August, August 6th. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by IrishIllustrated.com.